Hello, and welcome back to the PSC in Conversation. The PSC is a specialist consultancy dedicated to making public services brilliant. So if you share our passion, this is the podcast for you. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts if you'd like to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the big issues affecting the public sector right now. This is the next episode in our International Women's Day, a day to celebrate the achievements of women across the world. As part of the PSE's International Women's Day celebration, we are launching a podcast mini-series featuring our fantastic The PSE alumni who have gone on to do great things in the public sector. These powerhouse women talk about what inspires them, their experiences both positive and negative, navigating their career as a woman and their hopes for the future of public services. A diversity of voices in the public sector is so crucial to creating services that work for everyone. We're so pleased to have the chance to discuss this and much more with these women. So today I am really pleased to uh, introduce um, Vicky Bew, who uh, was at the PSC a few years ago, um, but we're going to be talking today about all things... um, career, uh, women women in, in in careers as well. Um so I might just dive straight in. In fact I'm gonna do I'm gonna do your um your uh, C V, which is actually pretty outrageous. I, I, I had a go at um I had a go at putting it together and I I think I got it eighty percent correct. Um but you are currently You're you're gonna embarrass me before we even get started. No 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 well no your current title in of itself is so impressive. You are a senior strategy and policy advisor and head of allocations uh, part of strategic projects at the Treasury. Um, before that head of strategy at Nesta uh, senior manager at the PSC, having been um, with us for a few years. Um, before that, at the uh, FCA, doing all things um, financial, uh, financial regulation, um, and then an LSE grad. And in the mix of all of this, um, has also done a master's in social innovation, and is a board member at the Hartford Regional College and chair of the Quality Standards and Business Planning Committee. Have I missed anything? he got it all but what a mouthful right (laughs) I feel like we need um, a more snazzy title for some of these things you know like the tech firms do Um, I can can have a little think about that (laughs) one for later so um, there are several threads that run through a lot of your uh, career moves but clearly public service is is one of them, and um, and and now you're at the Treasury, part of the civil service, on the front line. I, I'm curious as to, you know, when you were um, a graduate and you were thinking about your career, was it obvious then that you wanted to be in public services, or is it something that's evolved? Yeah. So I mean, firstly, thank you for having me, and Ros, what a delight to be having this chat with you. Um, I think it's quite interesting because looking back, it it's really easy for me to think that I was always drawn to public services, but that's actually a total lie. And I really, really wanted to be an investment banker. That was the dream. So that's why I went to LSE, um, the London School of Economics. I studied philosophy, econ, um, basically with the explicit dream of going into the city. Um, The idea being that I'll leave York, where I grew up, uh, move to the big city, go straight into one of these investment banking firms, probably be working on like big M&A deals and doing this kind of jet setting uh, city lifestyle. Um, So that was always what I was aiming for. I think really because as a 
kid, I was very into maths, very into numbers um, and quite into kind of, I guess, like big picture strategy style thinking. So that felt like the sort of thing that investment banking might allow me to do in a job. And honestly, I think probably like a load of movies, like um, I'm trying to think like... uh, this is probably a very bad example, um, but there's that horrible movie Confessions of a Shopaholic, um, which is all about kind of like city slicker women running around New York. Um, and I think a lot of those kind of influenced me and that's kind of where I thought I was heading. I did go to LSE, did some investment banking internships and hated it. Oh my gosh, absolutely <laughs> did not enjoy that. Uh, both in terms of the work, but also like really to do with the culture. And I think gender was a bit of a factor there, to be honest. Um, So it wasn't until kind of I tried and tested that a little bit that I moved over to the good side, um, started thinking about public sector work instead. And oh, so much to unpack there. Do do you think you're, uh, it's actually... Do you, I mean, I take it you have no regrets about that. I mean, I'm because sh- private sector experience is so valuable. I think when when uh, trying to add value in public services, so I'm guessing no regrets about trying those things out. Oh gosh, totally no. Uh, I think it was really important for me to try it, and like I was so lucky to be able to try it and to to get those opportunities to give it a go. Um, but also, I think it kind of taught me a lot about what I like, what I value. Uh, both in terms of kind of outputs, I guess, like what work you're trying to do and what that's trying to achieve. Where in in investment banking, now it seems really obvious, but at the time I didn't really think about it. There wasn't a huge amount of social value. And like people were thinking more about shareholder profit or expansion of large multinational firms, because like that is the job and that's what you were trying to do. Um, But that wasn't really doing it for me. It wasn't really giving me the kind of purpose that I was hoping for and looking for. But also in terms of, yeah, I guess, culture and ways of working. And frankly, in something like investment banking, where you've got all the hours under the sun, it's so important that you enjoy the culture in which you're working in and feel like you can thrive there. Um, And I guess that experience, even though it was kind of quite a long time ago, and not actually even for that long, was really formative in uh, encouraging me to think quite holistically about uh, my career and that not just being a kind of means to an end and building a CV, but more about your life, I suppose, because you're going to spend so much of your time at work. Um, so trying to kind of do stuff that you enjoy and be with people that you think are great and that you enjoy spending time with. One of the things that uh, you you mentioned was around social values and working with people with similar values and how that was something that you realised was, was, was important as you were going through things, um, through your career. Um, and now you're now you're at the treasury, um, and I'm interested on that journey because you've you've done so many interesting different things. You've worked for a regulator. You've been part of a, a private sector consultancy, but focusing on public services. Uh, you've been at Nestor and Innovation Hub. You've been at Treasury. I, I'm really interested in that social value because actually those organisations in of themselves are very very different, different structures, different size, different scale. So I was wondering if that social value thing. I, unpack it a bit more yeah so I think in all honesty this is something I'm kind of tussling with myself and like trying to find my way through as I as I go through my career I think 
like one thing that has become quite clear to me uh, is that I really want to work in organisations that are trying to do things for people and trying to do things that make uh, people's lives better in whichever way, way that can be. Um, but the, I guess the other half of the equation is that I would really like to work somewhere where my skills are valued and utilised and I feel like I'm able to make a difference. And I think I'm very lucky that I'm in a point in my career and have uh, kind of the background and skills to be able to do that. Um, so that's part of what kind of led me to the Treasury. So I've got a degree in economics um, and especially during my time at the PSC, spent a lot of time working on uh, things to do with the Treasury. So making bids for resource or bids for investment for various different kind of capital projects across the NHS or schools or universities, um, which led me to think quite a lot about how, I guess, the country runs its finances and the amount of value that is potentially possible if we harness all of that uh, taxpayer income uh, for the right projects and are able to kind of shift it in the right ways. Um, so for me, kind of moving to the Treasury was a really, really exciting opportunity to be able to do kind of both sides of that in one place, hopefully. So both to be able to work on something which impacts the lives of people, which... I guess, funneling taxes to the right projects and making sure that we're spending our money in the right and proper way, I think really does. But also for me personally, to be able to have an impact and be able to bring different skills, experience and knowledge into the organisation. I think that's what gives me quite a lot of, I guess, confidence and enjoyment at work. Um, so that's something which, I mean, actually just kind of reflecting, I think I learned a lot of the skills that I needed to be able to do that from my time at the PSC. Um, so going into different projects, uh, often not knowing very much about them until you get started and then learning very quickly, um, what sort of when, when you're on the project and on the ground, taught me a lot about how to add value and how to have confidence in the value that I can add, but also know what I can't do and where I shouldn't be adding value and where to harness the expertise of the people that have been there longer or people that know kind of certain parts of the sectors and really kind of bring to get people together to, to solve a bit of a problem. So I guess like pr probably defining, like redefining your question slightly, I think the kind of social value thing for me is, is two parts. It's kind of one about, uh, I guess, the end result that you're trying to achieve through the organisation and trying to help people, but the other about kind of how you do that and how you add value internally into the cultures in which you're working in. Yeah. And gosh, I would totally agree with your point about consulting. Nothing speeds up that learning process than just being on a new project. I mean, you know, a new project every three months or sometimes quicker is, um, yeah, it, 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 you learn to, you learn to, I think the people people that enjoy that environment they they get to grips with the things that they're good at uh, although they're honest about things they're good at and how they can add value and then the things that they're not so good at and then you build a team around you one of the other things um that you mentioned well it's actually a reflection because I, I i i know i know vicky very well so um this is a bit of a leading question really but mm. you are someone who's so amazing at charting your own territory and that that confidence point you just meant you you just you're you just talked about is so you like you are brilliant at understanding what where you can bring value and how to do that but and I'm I'm wondering about I'm actually interested in in role models because 
I think I'm curious as to whether you've worked it all out on your own and charted your own kind of course uh, or whether there have been some people along the way that have been pretty fundamental to your to your development what a brilliant question um I mean, I definitely have not charted it on, on my own, and so I definitely won't take take credit there. And thank you, uh, I guess, for the compliment that was hidden in that question, Roz. So, so kind of you. Um, so I, I should say, kind of, I absolutely love the question about role models. Uh, I actually wrote my undergrad dissertation about gender quotas and kind of how those work and, and kind of whether those are a, a means to an end or an end in themselves and, and sort of whether that's the right way to try and help gender representation. And a lot of the literature talks about the importance of role modelling and that being one of the most valuable things that organisations can do in order to kind of change the dial with respect to gender, but I think also kind of many other underrepresented characteristics in the workplace. To take it kind of back to me, there have been so many role models that I think have helped me kind of on on this journey. And some of them are are family members, um, which I guess sort of reflecting makes me feel incredibly fortunate to have grown up in an environment with so many in particular strong and powerful women so my mother is absolutely one of them um who has had a phenomenal career both in the private sector and the public sector uh, my aunt also uh and indeed my grandmother um who uh, is an absolute force of nature she was a history teacher um she's now in her 90s um but will not let that stop her um, and I think that kind of uh, like assertive voice through which she just carries herself in all in all situations, actually, has kind of been really, really formative for me growing up and finding my voice and how I want to be, um, I guess, a human and an adult, but also a woman. Um, and having those female role models, I think, was was really, really helpful. I guess thinking about like within my career, I found myself gravitating towards uh, lots of absolutely brilliant women, both peers and, I guess, seniors. Um, so people more senior than myself and starting to think about certain characteristics of the way in which they carry themselves or the way in which they behave with others that seem like just really cool and really great and the way that I would want to do that. And Roz, you are absolutely one of them. I remember when you joined the <laughs> PSC, um, I didn't interview you, but I was sat next to the person that was and saw your CV printed out next to me um, and was just blown over and knew that as soon as you joined, because you were obviously going to get the job, um, you were just so brilliant. Uh, as soon as you joined, I was going to want to make a beeline to not only be your bestie and be total pals, um, but also learn from you <laughs> and really kind of work out how you did it all and uh, like how I can take some of the best things that, that you do well and add them into my little portfolio of how, of how to be at work. Um, so I think kind of a lot of it for me is about like identifying those people who I think are just like pretty kick-ass and pretty brilliant um, and seeing which parts of the way in which they carry themselves are things that I might want to like try a little bit and add into to what I'm doing. I think there was a question in there slightly about kind of gender, or maybe I've turned it into a question about gender, which is really interesting because I like to think that many of my role models shouldn't be bound by gender um, and that it should be the case that I should have, I guess, an equal amount of role models who seem um, like realistic kind of uh, 
destinations for me, I suppose, or di- realistic um, people for me to like take little bits of the way in which they carry themselves and add, add them to what I do. Um, but actually just reflecting on it, I'd say 80% of my role models, either peer or more senior, are women. So there's definitely something kind of in that, in how kind of, I guess, people perceive other people's behaviours and like ha- maybe how far away the journey feels in order to kind of emulate that or add that into the way in which you carry yourself. Um, yeah, I'd like to reflect a little bit more on kind of like why it is that I maybe don't have so many male role models but I feel like I could list off many many brilliant female ones I I instinctively actually I uh, thinking about that question I think I'd probably be in a similar camp actually I and I I I don't know why but I think I would be in the similar uh, camp of being able to name more female role models yeah interesting might be um something another podcast uh uh along the way somewhere I wonder if it, yeah, it's interesting from my perspective, there's something in the difference between kind of role models specifically and um, I guess people I admire. So I'd say there are many men that I admire, both my peers, my seniors, people people more junior than me um, or people that I don't work with and I think are just kind of amazing and brilliant. Uh, Also many women. But in terms of that, I guess, role modelling specifically, there is something about kind of gender there for me which I th- do think feels quite important yeah yeah I totally agree and and I, I I'm quite interested because it, at the at the treasury I mean the civil service generally is often I think in this country trying to get as much as possible on the front foot of some of these issues to be to be almost a role model for the rest of society and, and organizations about you know how to do things so like some of their policies on uh, on parental leave, for instance, are some of the most progressive, I think, um, certainly in, the, in this country, but potentially globally. Your experience of being in the Treasury um, as, as a woman, are you finding those kind of female peers and, and role models there as well? Uh, I'm delighted to say yes. Uh, so I think the gender balance within the Treasury is really, really strong. Um, there are some other protected characteristics that I think we do need to do a bit more work on, including socioeconomic background um, and ethnic diversity as, as two kind of in, in particular. Um, and there have been some reports out ex- externally about, about some of that. Um, but from a gender perspective, I think the balance is really good. Um, I guess... Like it does ebb and flow a little bit, dependent on which team you're working in. So some teams are slightly kind of better for it than others. Um, right now, uh, I can't say too much about what I'm working on, but I, I'm, I'm working in a kind of central team looking at Russia-Ukraine. Um, so quite fast-paced um, and sort of a kind of emergency crisis response team. Um, and all of the people more senior than myself are women. Uh, brilliant women um, and of the people kind of at my grade half are women half are men and then underneath that uh, I'd say it's about a 50-50 split uh, which I think is quite unusual for it to have quite a top heavy female-led team um, but absolutely fantastic and isn't seen as kind of like completely outside of the norm it just kind of sometimes falls that way um, so I've been really fortunate to sort of I guess find a couple of brilliant role models already in my time there um, and try to kind of work with them when I can mm. yeah yeah and um, I think it's always uh, well I, I I love that idea of it just being a thing like that's how it's all fallen through that this is the structure of the team um, 
And as you've mentioned, there are many characteristics, protected characteristics or axes, I guess, as they are, that, that, that need to influence and need to, need to be present in, in team dynamics. Um, one of the other things I was really keen um, to, to pick up on is the, 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 the tagline for International Women's uh, Day was um, uh, break the bias. That was, that was the idea. And I, I wondered if you had any thoughts on that as, as, as a concept. Like, what does that mean, if anything, to you, break the bias? Gosh, it, I mean, it's a hard one, isn't it? Um, I think from from my perspective, the first thing to acknowledge, I think, is that biases exist. And whilst we would want to try and change that over time, nobody should be kind of a perfectionist about it individually. There are obviously some things which are completely unacceptable and behaviours that, that do need to be kind of eradicated. But putting those sorts of things to one side with regards to kind of more broad biases in the workplace, so like certain people being chosen for certain projects or um, I guess like cultures maybe not being as inclusive as they should be. I think it's all about having like quite open, transparent and honest conversations about this. And from my perspective, that I think is one of the best ways to break the bias. It's by kind of, I guess, outing it, I suppose. So saying to everybody, this bias is here. It's the spectre in the room. It is always going to be here. So we shouldn't pretend that we've solved it or that it's not here, but instead acknowledge that it's here and create a culture where you can kind of call people out, but in a really safe way when you see certain things happening. I've been really delighted to see actually quite a lot of that happening in the Treasury at a corporate level. Um, so there have been quite a lot of pushes um, for, I guess, open conversations within every team about certain biases that exist and, and kind of trying to have like start a conversation about how we can call those out. So things like um, how to call out microaggressions, where we all have been doing little role plays uh, to work out like language that feels safe to be able to like help you to do that. So from my perspective, I think it's about like avoiding perfectionism, starting the journey, but also like all being in it together. Um, because otherwise, I think, and like I might be proven wrong here, but I think it'll just be too hard if you try and do it in a sort of all or nothing kind of way. And that's when people get a bit antagonistic about like certain things to do with gender or other biases. Um, and I think a sort of softly, softly, we're all in this together. Let's change the conversation and change the dial is a, is a better way to go. Yeah, and I, I I was reflecting. I I think that um, a kind of the politics that we've had over the last few years, uh, you know, not just domestic but international as well, and the the, the rise of the kind of this woke concept. I I, I agree. I think you, you've you've hit the nail on the head with the whole perfectionism issue, which is then if, if you don't allow a safe space for people to make mistakes, dates within reason i mean obviously there's like there's a spectrum here uh, but we're, we're talking about things on the edges or where there might be just a misunderstanding if you vilify that person you or you kind of create a new problem and then there's no incentive for for anyone well there's no that, that doesn't create real change because real change i think comes from just listening 
but you can't listen if you're too if the other person is too scared to say something because you know actually they're incentivized in this equation to just not it's safer not to say anything than to to test something or to try something i think it's I th- i'm hoping that we're on we're all on a journey with that um but i i i i think there are definite challenges f- for sure i i agree with that and i think it's it's a really tricky one and one that requires quite a lot of kind of emotional maturity i guess both from individuals but also from organizations to be able to embark on that journey because like it's a bit of a minefield and can be really tricky but it's like from my perspective so important to do but i also think just going back to a point you made earlier that is where i believe it's the role of large organizations and government to be like try and spearhead those kind of conversations and that kind of culture shift because they're the organizations that have the resources frankly to be able to allow for a bit of that failure or kind of like a difficult transition as opposed to kind of small businesses or like individuals on their own where it's always going to be really really difficult to be able to kind of like handle that risk or to take on that burden on top of whatever else you're doing kind of in in work or in life or like in a charity setting or wherever it may be um but larger organizations and government can dedicate specific resources to that and also cause like quite seismic change potentially in quite a short period of time just because of breadth volume and and reach yeah a hundred percent and and i i I and i think between that kind of approach and then things like i don't know if you saw the news this week with the um one of the companies with the one of the insurance companies within Lloyd's of London has been totally called out for how its treatment specifically of women, but I, I think there were other issues there. And I think I think between that where you've got your kind of hard, kind of not acceptable, this is a breach of X, Y, and Z. Uh, which, you know, government has a role in setting those standards and, you know, the Equalities Act and things like that. And then, as you say, the kind of testing, pioneering, having the space to do different things. And I, I, I think I think that's actually very inspiring for the two kind of different roles that um, kind of civil civil society and government can actually play. I really agree. I think the one thing that does just feel... I guess a, a little bit sort of, uh, uncle- maybe it's unclear to me, uh, is what then bridges it from theoretical to actual? Because I think this is something I'm definitely feeling as uh, a relatively new Whitehall civil servant, uh, having done things in the past that are a little bit closer to kind of frontline delivery, either at the PSC or in other parts of my career or in my job on, on the board at the FE College. Um, whereas in Whitehall, I think there is a risk uh, that all of us are a little bit, I guess, policy wonk, for, for want of a better word, have these brilliant conversations, break the bias for ourselves, uh, change the dial, change the rhetoric. But actually, it doesn't go beyond Whitehall, because that kind of connection from that bubble and those kind of policy circles to delivery I think is always really, really difficult to breach. So I guess what I'm thinking is like, how do we change, how do we create that change from say the teams in the treasury who were thinking about NHS spending to actually the NHS? And like, how, how do you like create that ripple effect? And actually is that the right way to create the ripple effect? Yeah. So it's that, it's that point about proportionality, isn't it? That you were making earlier, like it's, it's, 
who's got the space. And I guess the, the honest reflection is, is that on some of these issues, it's, it's not, there are no quick fixes. I mean, it is, it's a, it's a, a long road. Um, and I guess that's why we're still talking about it. You know, frankly, that is why we still have to have an International Women's Day, because there are still, despite all the legal protections, um, there are still problems challenges, problems uh, in, in how things work out in practice. Um, this has been, I mean, I could honestly go on and on and on, but I'm conscious that you actually have a job to do uh, and um, and I should probably do some work too today. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, Vicky, thanks so much for joining us. Um, any final words from yourself? Um. Well, I actually was wondering if I could ask you a question. Um, oh, yeah. If, oh, that's, if that's the format. Turn gamekeeper. Uh-huh. Yes, no, do it. Um, but since I uh, left the PSC um, for, for Passages New, uh, there have been two brilliant women join the leadership team in yourself and Nicole, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. And I am just so delighted uh, for, for you both and for the organisation. But just reflecting on kind of the, the theme this year of break the bias, I was just wondering on your reflections on how that has changed the culture of the organisation, um, how you feel about that and anything that's going on back in the PSE. Mm, um yeah it it's 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 really interesting because nicole and i moved into the leadership team um at a time when we were really starting to think the business was thinking quite differently and it it, thinking about how it how it needs to be organized and we we were going through a bit of a let's um let's be clearer about our service lines and how we deliver for clients and And so it's been a real opportunity, actually, to do things differently, which is always exciting, I think, when you get into a new role, to to be able to do do something in a different different way or to grow something. But in terms of impact on the organisation, I guess it's hard for me to say. I I know from looking at other organisations, I know representation is really, really important. Just, if nothing else, just representation. Um... And I sometimes do feel quite a lot of responsibility about that. When I I was thinking, because um, I'm 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 pregnant again, um, and will be taking time out. And I was thinking about how to organise my time off and how to do it, and but then also how to share that and communicate that with other people in the business. I I because it, I think, I think there is something about how we communicate and how our role as senior kind of senior women in the business about the choices that we're making because there are you know it's all about choices um and so that's kind of the thing that I've been thinking about recently is is about thinking through those choices and then how to communicate them to everyone else in both like I guess an informal and and formal way but it's it's been great um and We've restructured our, our governance so that um, the roles are clearer. And, and I think that's also really helped. You know, if you're talking about break the bias, transparency and clarity on roles is is, is key. So I think that has really helped um, uh, most recently. So, yeah, no, it's it's been good. But um, as you well know, extremely busy. So, um, 
yeah, we'll see what happens. Maybe I should come and do a fly on the wall sometime <laughs> and um, see how it's all changed. I would, I would love to do that. Um, I think you're absolutely right about kind of changing that conversation and thinking about like both the formal communication routes that you have, I guess, as a role model, um, but also informally. Like so much of that role modeling work is done informally. It's not about kind of like big blog posts or like stand up meetings. It's more about how you are with people um, and how they see you and how you come across. So um, really right to be thinking about that. But also don't put too much pressure on yourself. Um, no, I'm sure you're nailing it, Ros. <laughs> no, no, just just surviving, head above water. Well, thank you so so much. Um, this has been brilliant, and um, until we next uh, we next meet in a Lido, um, over and out for now. Thank you. Thank you. This has been the PSC in conversation. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back with another episode very soon. If you like what you heard, subscribe where you get your podcast to make sure you don't miss out. And we'd love to hear from you with your questions, comments or suggestions at hello at thepse.co.uk.